Welcome to the IQ Meets EQ podcast. I'm Jackie Broman, Principal Solicitor at TBA Law and CEO of Legally Wise Women. And as always, I'm here with Ush Danik, former corporate lawyer, then head of HR, and now an emotional intelligence coach. Good morning. Morning, Jackie. How are you? How was your week? Yeah, we've been churning through. It's great. How are you going, by the way, with your 100-day program yes so good um waking up at crazy o'clock at like two and three in the morning to do the sessions how many times a week uh every fortnight okay and they're three hour sessions are really really good i'm totally enjoying it yes Mm -hmm. yes i'll share a little sneak peek at the end of the interview oh great something quite valuable actually yeah I'll share that at the end. Yay. <laughs> Good to hear how you're going with that. What else have you been up to? Um, what else? So last week I did um, a keynote for transport, which was so much fun. The, um, the group were amazing and I've sort of done about four virtual keynotes now. Right. And they're great. Initially I was like, they're not going to work. They're not going to work, but they, it's weird that they do. Um, and it, it made me think about people actually now paying for paid speakers after this because this it's cool like people can be anywhere in the world you could have the biggest audience you want and not pay for a venue yeah yeah or even if you wanted a venue because it's a conference and there's workshops but even then you can do it online but also I mean your speaker doesn't have to be present even if you've got everyone in the room do, do they correct hmm. Correct. And now it seems a bit surreal, right? Where they pay speakers from other countries to fly over and speak for an hour. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, there goes the industry. So, yeah, that was good. And hey, have the gyms opened in um, Vic? Ah, no, not until the 22nd of June, I think. Right, so yeah. Still doing large outside groups. Yeah, so we had a bit of um, talk about it yesterday and apparently we're getting an announcement next week I think our premier is feeling the pressure because she's opened what did she say she opened like beauty salons and pubs and things and then mm-hmm. you know all the gym people are like well hang on a minute you can't do that and not do gym so um, I think I think we might be open next week yeah great need it as long as people sort of behave still and don't just chuck social distancing and keeping yourself clean away yes mm-hmm. I know time will tell right Mm, mm. and how's your week good sort of in line with everyone sort of getting back to new normal I've um, been preparing and getting screens and stickers for the floor and all those sorts of things just like everyone oh yeah so it's a little bit of the culture shock for the staff they pushed back a bit and said what doesn't allow us to have a close an open relationship with a client and I said well this is the new normal now and they're seeing it at supermarkets they're seeing it just about everywhere else so it is what it is yeah I went to the supermarket yesterday with Gia and there was a woman wearing a full-blown plastic screen on her face Hmm. it was really really surreal it was like what yeah and for those people who are immune compromised by all means they need to protect themselves as yes well. so we just have to um, get used to that but I think that still the biggest thing for me is not shaking hands with people I mean it just feels odd it feels rude <laughs> it does doesn't it it does feel rude mm. yeah I'm the same mm. I'm a hugger as well so I'm like I'm just hugging people <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, was, I was hugging Gia in the supermarket yesterday and she's like can you not do that in public I'm like what the hell she's like people are going to think that's really inappropriate I want you're my child I can hug you I can kiss you I can do what I want so I purposely made a 
a bit, bit of a show to wind her up, but I was like, oh my God, like she's going to be conscious now of me just even giving her a hug in public. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just surreal. It is. There you go. By the time this episode airs, I've got a little bit of news as well because I eye surgery. Are you laser? Yes. Oh, amazing. I know I know tons of people. It's so easy apparently now. Yeah, yeah. It takes about well, it takes about 30 seconds per eye, apparently. Mm, mm. <laughs> so And you do both are you doing both together or one at a time? Both at the same time. Yep. And then you just wear the patch for for the day or something, right? And then yeah, I think two days because I'm having the less invasive but more painful option. Um, oh, are you? Yeah, it's I think four days of painkillers and sleeping tablets. <laughs> oh my god, how are you feeling about having having that done? I'm so excited. You know, I've been wanting to do it for maybe fifteen years or so. Finally, actually taken steps. So yeah. You're not nervous, not scared. Um, I'm no. I'm just worried about the what the level of pain is because I think it might have been built up. I think it might actually be quite cruisy. So, um, not sure. Like I'm not used to pain. So, mm. yeah. Look, I know someone who just did it recently, and they must have been the same as yours, but they wore the patch for two days, and they said it was fine. They said the painkillers took the edge off, and they said that the excitement of just the reveal was enough to get it through. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I actually had a dream last night that I'd had it done and that my vision was perfect straight away. And that was very exciting. <laughs> that is so good. Yeah. I remember um, my mum had it done, but she had it done when I was a kid. And in those days, it was really dangerous. Ah. And I remember them even saying that there was a certain uh, quite high percentage that she wouldn't see. Oh my God. Whereas now they just do them really quickly, right? But she's like, I don't care. She goes, I just don't want to wear contacts anymore. And they only did, yeah, and they only did one eye at a time in case they fucked it, in case oh. they messed it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. So there you go. And it's not even so much having to wear glasses or contacts because I'm actually getting clear glass put into my glasses to keep mm. wearing them anyway. Oh, it's really? It's that I actually have to need them. And, you know, I'm quite active and it has prevented me doing ocean sports, water sports, water skiing, diving. Um, I did quite a bit of um, skydiving at one point and you had wow. to use over your glasses and it was just not good. Like if it slightly got pushed on your face, you couldn't see. And uh, so. so why are you going to wear um, glasses? Because it's my identity. But it doesn't have to be after the laser. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Wow, don't wear them. Be the maybe. new you. Maybe. Or maybe just wear them. Wear the, you can do like the Clark Kent thing, right? Just wear them yeah, like exactly. a couple of times a week or something so you yep. feel like, you know, you're phasing out of it. I don't think you should wear them again and again. <laughs> so that'll be, I suppose, an ongoing thing where, it, I mean, that's an identity crisis for me. You know, ways. that's what it's reminded me of this book you need to read. It's an amazing book. It was written in the 70s, but it's phenomenal. It's called cybo, no, cyber cy, cybernetics, yeah, and cyber psychonetics. And what it is, it's about this plastic surgeon who does all this surgery on people because they've got these self-image issues and they think they're going to be fixed because they fix their ears or pin their ears back and all this stuff. Uh. And he actually says that the results didn't. It was fascinating in the number of people that didn't feel what they wanted to feel after their surgery, yeah, because of their own identity and image. 
Um, but it just reminded me when you said that you're going to wear your glasses <laughs> afterwards. Yes. Read, read that book. Read that book. It might okay. help you. I'll try and find it. Um, all right. So we must get into the interview because I'm really yes. excited to share. And this is Anne-Marie Cade, who I spoke to, and I've known her for a little while, but it's so good to get to know people deeper. Um, so Anne-Marie um, is a lawyer, um, but she went on to get her qualification as a family dispute resolution practitioner and a nationally accredited mediator, and then a high conflict coach as well. And she found a divorce right a couple of years ago. Um, so she's a coach that works with clients to help them build better relationships, to improve their communication skills, but also to resolve conflicts. Um, and then um, as a mediator for couples going through separation um, to reach a peaceful, amicable separation. So let's have a listen. So, Anne-Marie Cade, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. It's You're so welcome. <laughs> No, the pleasure's all mine. We have known each other for a couple of years and I think mainly been watching each other on social media since we met face-to-face. -face. Uh, I think it was Annette that introduced us originally, which was lovely. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, know you as the evolved lawyer that you are at the present moment but obviously, I know that there's a whole lot of background here and I just, I'm excited to get to know and get to hear it all. So before we jump into what your career path has looked like, what did you actually want to be when you were growing up? I wanted to be a journalist. I had a great fascination for current affairs and, you know, would, uh, I would binge watch the news. And um, I think it was more the glamour of the dressing up and being able to, you know, go to different countries. And it just looked like this very glamorous life that I thought would be just what I, you know, uh, it was a dream come true, as it were. But yeah, no, it never happened that way because... Um, when I went to law school, and I went to university, actually, there were very few options. So it was either science or law, and you kind of had to fit in that mold. And um, so I fitted in the, you know, sort of commerce law mold. And yeah, that's where I kind of uh, stayed for a while anyway. Yeah, yeah. Where did you go to university? So I went to university in Sri Lanka. I grew up in Sri Lanka. So went to university there, went to high school there as well. And moved to Australia in 2003 with a young family. And um, yes, and that was the beginning of my career here. <laughs> well, I've always admired how glamorous you look. So you didn't have to be a journalist to look glamorous. <laughs> oh my goodness, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> university. Tell us then what happened after that. What's your career path been like? Yes, so I uh, practiced law in Sri Lanka, the traditional uh, mold of a lawyer. I fitted in that mold, I think, quite well. And then I came here and had to re, um, uh, redo some subjects and, you know, take my oaths as a solicitor in Victoria. And then I uh, did my uh, initial training at a legal firm in the suburbs then decided I wanted to go off on my own and mm. uh, ran a traditional law practice for about 12 years mm. and uh, practiced in the areas of uh, conveyancing property, wills and estates and family law. And then I um, used to, you know, have the conversation with my clients and they never seemed happy with the outcome they got in family law. 
And it was always a complaint, you know, and unhappiness with uh, what they have got to. And having spent so much time and money, uh, they were just not very happy with the outcome. And this was going back to probably 2014. And then I decided, okay, let me see what sort of difference I can make here. And I decided to retrain as a mediator. And actually that opened up. Uh, a whole new world of possibilities for me as it were and sort of you know uh, got me really interested in you know ADR and you know the benefits of it. What I then did was in 2018 I decided I didn't want to practice law anymore because um, I call myself the not so happy lawyer because I really was not so happy with what I was doing. It was just too stressful. Um, it was turning me into someone I really didn't know because I was just under so much stress. So, and it affected almost every aspect of my life. It uh, affected my relationships. I, I thought there had to be a better way. And then I actually went uh, searching for a better way. And that was when I discovered the coaching aspect, mm -hmm. you know, because even with mediation, what I found was that clients were getting to an agreement, but mm -hmm. they were not still not happy with that mm -hmm. agreement. Once the uh, divorce, as it were, is over, there's no one really out there to help them, you know, implement this. So that was when I discovered the coaching and, you know, did additional training in the coaching and conflict coaching. And that has become a passion of mine now. <laughs> That's where I uh, think I will, you know, stay. Yeah, I think so many things. I'm frantically writing notes as you're going. <laughs> Because I am in your shoes in 2014. You know, I've been running the same sort of firm that you ran. I've been running mine for eight years. And the legal industry hasn't fit for a long time because I think a lot of us go into law thinking we're going to make a difference. And then reality is that everyone's always unhappy, not only your clients. Um, well, in terms of litigation, and many lawyers aren't happy, which is why I sort of went into estate planning a lot because it's not litigation. Like I, I really want to do like preventative work. I mean, what stuck out for me then was the stress and the industry was turning you into someone that you didn't know anymore. And I'm not sure if you saw my post on LinkedIn recently, which was exactly that, which was, have you lost your humanity? Because I feel the exact same way at the moment. I did see that and that it, it stuck with me. You know, because um, I was in such a dark place, mm. you know, and almost, and it, I absolutely loved my work, but it had come to a stage where I was doing it as though I had no other option. And it was mm. timing my creativity, you mm. know, and it was it was not the person I want, I was not the person I wanted to be, you know, I, I needed to be able to, you know, help people. And I wasn't able to do that in the mind uh, frame that uh, frame of mind that I was in. So, yeah, but I have to say that in hindsight, you know, all that experience mm. has led me to what I'm doing now. I wouldn't be here if I hadn't had that experience. So it, it is, it is, my ability to see the benefits of it. And, you know, I think that, that there's opportunity in adversity. I'm a firm believer in that. And even, you know, through the crisis they're going through at the moment, mm. 
I think I'm able to cope in a particular way because I see things so differently now. I see things, you know, from through the eyes and the lens of a coach, mm-hmm. you know, and um, it is all about looking for the positives, the silver linings, in spite of everything that is happening, you know, like, and I look, I see so many similarities between divorce and what's happening at the moment, right? We've got the uncertainty, we've got the uh, fear and, you know, the financial issues that we all have, we are all facing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it is my coaching background that is really enabling me to get out there and still, you know, uh, see the positives and do what I'm doing and not let the situation get me down. And mm-hmm. I think with our clients, they need that sort of guidance and they're not getting it. I identified this as a professional void in, in the approach we take. Yeah. Oh, no, Absolutely. Um, there's a huge gap in a lot of things and um, clients want so much more from their lawyers but we're so pressured that we can't give them what they want or need or let alone um, that we're not trained sufficiently to like your coaching Um, you know there are many lawyers who are not very good or haven't really studied any psychology whatsoever and so they're so hard stuff this isn't it (laughs) it is hard and the thing is see somehow I think you can't do both together Mm. Mm. I don't think it's actually possible because you know you're 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 looking at it through the lens of you know a legal solution you're advocating from your for your client whatever approach you're taking Mm. You know, even if it's the collaborative approach, you're still meant to advocate for your client. And that's what we have to do. It, it is, I think, you can't be both, you mm. know. So that is why we need to actually build that team. And I was actually at a conference in the U.S. before all this happened, just at the end of February, where it was all about building that team when you mm. bring your clients to mediation. And it's not just building a team, but making sure that team actually works together. Yes. You know, does the team fit together? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not about just referring clients, uh, you know, to the accountant and the psychologist and the divorce coach, but really, are we working together Mm. for this client? And what does that really mean? Yeah, true. And sharing of information and helping each other fully understand each other's role. Absolutely. And even in the estate planning arena, you know, when we're trying to work collaboratively together with the financial planners and the accountants. Yeah. yeah, When you have some, you come up against someone who wants all the control and won't share their strategy. It makes it so difficult, doesn't it? Yeah. Is it, you know, really a collaborative approach? I'm talking Mm -hmm. collaborative with a simple C. Mm -hmm so important and so this is I think a huge problem in the system but as lawyers I think we the responsibility lies greatly on our shoulders to really be directing our clients to those really proper and holistic solutions because whatever it is we're the first port of call they come to us because they know don't know any better you know, and it's 
constant education. We have to keep educating clients about the options, but they don't know better. I often have lawyers tell me that, you know, clients go to counseling and get stuck in counseling. Mm. Why does that happen? You know, so it's because we are possibly as a default position sending them to counseling when they're not really needing the counseling. Mm. Maybe they need the coaching, maybe they need something else. Mm. Because they're going through a divorce, it doesn't mean that they're depressed. No, true. Yeah, no, they might not need the talk therapy. They do need guidance and they need someone backing them to be proactive, don't they? Yes, and they need to be future focused. There's a difference between being depressed and the grief aspect. Mm. You know, so it's so so important to understand those nuances Mm. and to be really directing the clients to the professionals who can help them depending on their situation. God, I can hear you so passionate about this, and it's just like <laughs> I know. Um, I'm just, this is the solution. I need this. <laughs> what are the roadblocks that you're facing in, um, or is there going? Is there a real take up? Do you find that people and lawyers and clients are really open to your approach? Sadly, not. I think the clients more so than mm. the lawyers, mm. uh, and I would say that there would be a bigger take up if clients really understood this whole concept of coaching, right? Mm. But unfortunately or fortunately, uh, it is is very new. So, I mean, Mm. I'm probably, uh, I've really been banging on about this for the past one year. And I think I have rattled a few cages and people are finally starting to take note, which I'm glad they are doing. And, Mm. um, where, you know, I've had a lot of inquiries from lawyers who are looking to actually retrain or get upskilled in divorce coaching. And I put them onto, uh, you know, the institution that I trained with. And so, you know, there's an awareness. But 98%, I would say, of family lawyers don't take this approach. There's a very small percentage that really, you know, take this approach. And... But are they even doing it right? I question that sometimes. Mm. You know, because the, or are they precluded from being able to uh, do it the way they really want to? Because at the end of the day, they are facing certain frustrations as well because they might have all the good intentions, but the other lawyer on the other side may be so hard to deal with. It, it's like banging your head against a brick wall. Yeah, yeah, that's half the problem most of the time, isn't it? Yes. It's so you have a hard colleague. <laughs> yes, and and you, you know you would you you probably you know think that's quite familiar. I hear it all the time from mm. young lawyers and from you know older lawyers, and mm. it, it it is the it goes with the profession. I think it's part it, of the problem. Well, yeah, it is part of the problem. That's the thing, but it doesn't have to be go with the profession, doesn't it? If we all hate it, why don't we all just stop? <laughs> I know, but I think people, you know, the thing is, it is, why fix it if it's not broken? (laughs) Mm. It is really not broken from the perspective of the lawyers because as a lawyer, you're making... The business model still works. Yeah, The business model still works. Mm. You're probably not going to... Your business model as a coach will probably not be as lucrative. Mm. So why fix it? Mm. You know, unless you're really, I mean, 
when I look at my career, okay, I'm, I, I've, I've, as I, as it were, been through the mill, and I've come to a stage in my life where I feel like, you know, I, I am willing to risk it because I'm so passionate about this, mm. and I think, you know, I, I'm lucky enough to be able uh, to have the option to do it. Mm. You know, many others probably don't. But, you know, I think it takes a few people to keep, uh, you know, keep uh, going on about it. And, you know, people will obviously then, you know, start to understand that there really is a gap here which we need to fill. Mm, yeah. Well, you're certainly doing the right things on social media because you are pretty prominent, which is which is great, particularly in the legal industry. So we're, we're taking notice Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> do you think that male and female solicitors approach family law differently? Maybe. Uh, I mean, I think the women probably are capable of being more empathetic, mm. you know. But having said that, you know, I have, I, I, I have some friends who are fabulous lawyers, you know, who, you know, men who have, you know, do an amazing job. So, mm. you know, they, I wouldn't really fault them, you know, on account of gender for, yeah. you know, because I think it's, it is just individually what you bring, you know, to the practice and, you know, how passionate you are about it, whether you're, you know, seeing it uh, as, uh, you know, as this job, as it were, or, mm. you know, a real you're really there out there to make that difference mm. and what drives you. Yeah, yeah. I, I always hope that that's the case because my own experience in smaller firms was, oh, you're a female, so let's move you into the law that is more touchy-feely than the commercial stuff, you know? <laughs> I know, and that's pretty annoying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, there are so uh, many amazing women out there doing amazing things in finance and business. And look at the leaders we have, uh, you know, the mm. world leaders, mm. uh, you know, they're, they're just uh, streaks ahead of there. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. I think that that attitude might become less and less as we go, like this is 15 years ago. So hopefully it's not as much happening at the moment. Yes. Um, and in terms of coaching, I think that, I mean, generally, there's so much benefit for people to have a life coach or some kind of mentor or spiritual leader in their life. And there's, you know, there'd be far less than 50% of the population who've had some kind of coaching. Um, so I can see that clients perhaps who've been in business before and have had a business coach might be far more ready to take on coaching in other areas of their life. But I can see the uphill battle trying to, tell someone the value of it is tricky isn't it really tricky it is tricky because they don't know what they're missing out on and they mm. don't understand the value in it so if once I've spent time explaining it to them they understand it better but mm. you know because I can help them with the practical side of the uh, matter so you know really helping them get organized uh, you know get all your paperwork together you know I find a lot of lawyers have a lot of problems dealing with clients you know when it comes to discovery issues <laughs> things like discovery because they'll send you one document over one month uh, 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 you know or every couple of days 
over yeah. the month and then at the end of the month you'll have probably 25 documents but you really need that at the beginning and they, they don't really realize that the fact that they're not organized is costing them money no right very and true then, yeah and then uh, when they get their bill at the end of the month like why have you charged me this much mm. you know mm -hmm. you were not organized you took much longer mm -hmm. so there's a breakdown in communication there so as a coach that's something i address as well mm. you know to really explain to them what has happened what to expect of their lawyer because what happens is a lot of clients go and hand the matter over to the lawyer you probably that's find right. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, it's always trying to convince them it's actually your matter. You've yeah. got to be running it. I am your advocate and doing the paperwork. But yeah. Yeah. So they, it's like almost they don't want to deal with it. My lawyer's handling it. And I mm. hear that all the time. Mm. Yeah. And it's not your lawyer's divorce, it's your divorce. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> you know your your lawyer can handle the legal part of it and actually your legal the legal part of it is possibly 20% of the divorce mm. the emotional part of it is probably 60% and then the financial part is another 20% so why are you handing it over to the lawyer what about the other aspects of this divorce yeah yeah absolutely um and the lawyer can't help you emotionally <laughs> No, they can't. I mean, they can be empathetic. Some of the lawyers are empathetic, but they still have to, you know, handle the paperwork and the uh, legal aspects of it. And they have probably 20 other matters to deal with as well. Absolutely. As That's right. And um, trying to get counselling and venting to your lawyer is more costly than having a coach. <laughs> I know. So, um, so I think people will come around to the fact, yeah. you know, uh, I, I've, I think the, the clients I have realize the value in the service. And mm. so, um, you know, that, that is what I think uh, keeps them stuck on the coaching, you know, and, and I try kind of have to try and shake them off once they have built those skills, because what I tell them is like, look, I'm there to teach you the skills so mm. that you can do this on your own. Hmm. you don't need me there all the time like it's not like you've got to be in therapy with me for the next hmm. um you know i'm i've been working towards a goal once you've learned the skills on how to manage this by yourself hmm. you're going to be able to do this better than anyone else it's your life you know so it's about empowering them to yes. you know to to bring their best self to the process yeah that's so brilliant you so know? brilliant Yes, because not only are you improving the process and potentially the experience that they have, you're probably saving them time and money as well. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and they're learning skills that they can use in other arenas in their life. Yeah, and, and you know, it's, it's learning to... So that, that, uh, that is where the conflict management uh, comes in and the conflict coaching you know mm. learning to respond and not react mm -hmm. to, not not to lose it when you can't when you have a disagreement but to ask those questions um, you know it's about lowering maybe your expectations sometimes mm. yes people have really high expectations of their exes about their emotional intelligence don't they yes and you know and i dissuade people from you know putting labels on your ex and saying your x y and z because mm. once you do that it's very hard to move from that mm. you know and you know how they go 
most times, you know, if, if there's, if you're going through separation and divorce, it's like he or she is a narcissist. I'm like, how do you know that? Have you got a clinical diagnosis here? <laughs> Let's not go there. Let's not call anyone any names. Let's mm. deal with the problem. Mm. Let's unpack this, you know? And then, you know, we're dealing with the underlying fears and addressing those issues, which is what, you know, they have to do. I mean, most times they'll come to me, it's like, I want to keep the house. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Let's keep mm -hmm. the house. But let's unpack that. Yeah. Okay, now, how are you doing? How, how are you going to manage to pay for this? How are you going to manage to maintain it? And, you know, so when I've gone through a whole series of questions with them, mm. they come back to me in a couple of weeks. It's like, I don't want to keep the house. Why not? But that's what you wanted to do. Yeah, but I've realized that it's just not going to work for me. So I haven't told them what to do. We've gone through a process of self-discovery. They've come to the answer themselves. Mm -hmm. And what it means is that they're going to stick to it. They've made the decision themselves. Yeah. You know, so, so that is why I think even with mediation, you can't do all of this in one intake session. Absolutely. That's the problem with mediation, isn't it? Because you're trying to give them the power to, to make a decision about the rest of their lives, but they have to work it out that very day. And then they walk away and they have the emotional turmoil afterwards and it, it can be all undone. Yes. And so that is why I tell my clients, you know, you might have an agenda and you might have 10 things you want to deal with. Mm. You might actually have to have more than one way more than one mediation. Maybe you'll be able to discuss two things in, in just one mediation, but take your time. Mm. You don't have to resolve it all in a day. Mm. You know, just one step at a time. You are the future of legal practice, I tell you. <laughs> there will be a coach on every level of a legal firm eventually. <laughs> There has to be. That, that's my dream because actually in the US, what, what happens is they actually have a coach doing their intakes. A lot of the big law firms have divorce coaches taking, uh, you know, doing the intakes because what they find is that that is such a critical part of the process, mm. right? And what I find that in Australia, what happens, and not just here, in other parts of the world as well, we put a very junior person up front and they are dealing with the clients. Now, what we don't realize is that they don't have this experience. They don't have coaching skills. They haven't, you know, uh, built that emotional intelligence as it were. You know, so you really need to have a, someone with a lot of experience doing those intakes because that is a crucial part of the process and I think that is such a great approach that you know a lot of the big law firms in the U.S. are now using divorce coaches you know to do the intakes and I think there's so much value in that process. Mm, yep so much value I can see it myself and now I'm already thinking okay my next hire is a coach. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to get more of them trained up for sure. Yep yep we'll have to. Okay so Knowing everything that you know, what would you tell your 21-year-old self? What advice would you give yourself? Well, I would tell my 20-year-old self to build her emotional intelligence because I didn't know any of this 
when I was 20 years old, learn to communicate, learn to listen, learn mm. to pay attention. You know, are you really listening to the, or, or paying attention to those, the non-verbals, mm. you know, the body language, what's really happening here? What is being said? What, 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 what is really bothering that person? You know, and I didn't look at things like that until a few years ago. I'm glad I, you know, I've learned those skills now. It's such mm. an important skill, I think. Absolutely. And it has this level of wisdom, doesn't it, in it, when you can really, truly listen and read the underlying, what someone's saying underneath what they're saying. Yeah. And, and not be trying to formulate your response <laughs> as they're speaking, yes. you know? Yes. And, and cut into what they're saying. <laughs> Very true. As lawyers, you know, the, there's research that says that a lawyer interrupts a client 11 seconds into the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That, having practiced law for so many years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because we already know what they're going to say, don't we? Yeah, of course. We know it all. You know, and we're going to miss the most important things that they're saying because mm. we have this preconceived notion mm. of what the problem is. Mm. So we've put them in silos. True. Yeah, very true. You are so wise. <laughs> so now that you're not feeling like you're turning into someone else, do you have a daily check-in or something that you do, you know, to make sure that you're on track, that you're doing okay? Um, how are you going and, and are you being true to who you really are? Yes, I have a daily meditation practice. Hmm. I don't do meditate for long, but it's probably 10 minutes every day. And, you know, just concentrate on my breathing and, uh, you know, just take that time out for myself. Mm. Uh, I make sure that I, uh, you know, take a walk or, you know, do some gym work, at least spend possibly 45 minutes doing that. Because if I don't do that, I find that my day just does not run well. Uh, and it's, it comes back to really, you know, giving myself that fuel. And I think that's, that's what I need. Mm. You know, different people need different things. That's what I need because I need to sort of clear my mind before I start the day. And that, that's something that I do every day. Lovely. We're very similar there. I'm the same. I need to move my body and I need to be in my body in the morning. <laughs> very important. Mm. And I need my coffee, of course. Do you? I can't function without my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> A true lawyer. You're still on your coffees. <laughs> so if people want to find out more about divorce coaching or family dispute resolution or how you've um, recreated yourself as a lawyer to now doing this work or lawyers who want to get in touch with you to see how you, that you can help them, where can people find you? So they can head to my website. It's divorceright.com.au. Um, or they can find me on LinkedIn and send me a message. Yeah, happy to have a chat with anyone and, you know, help uh, in uh, whatever way I can. Yeah, I think that this conversation could go so many ways and we want people to be thinking about the positives of how we can do this better, not how everything has 
is done wrong. So yes, of course, and, the, yes. and that is so important because you know that if you create the awareness, and then people will become curious. Mm. And, and that's what we want. We want to create a certain level of curiosity mm. because we, I don't have all the right answers, you know. Mm. And we know so many people are unhappy with how it is. And so if they hear that it can be done differently, I think there's at least the start of the curiosity, isn't it? Yes. And, you know, once you have, uh, you, once you're curious about something, you, you know, you won't take no for an answer and you will go looking for better options and more options. And I think that's that's what I'm trying to do here. Yeah. You are the solution. You're not trying, you are it. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jackie, for having me. It's been a pleasure. So she really is the future, isn't she? I think so. Absolutely. Of, of how disputes and the perception of going through something is stressful as a separation is yeah I think the coaching aspect is a perfect complement to the law and we spoke about how you know clients want more from us but um, she said well as an advocate you've got your place and so you can't do both um, but it's almost like the coach becomes the legal project manager because they're the ones um, guiding the whole process and the client, making sure the client's doing what they're doing and making sure the lawyer's doing what they're doing in a way as well. I think that um, it's a perfect compliment. Yeah, I agree. I was just thinking that the expertise of that, of her being there yeah. and, and helping them through that process, it's just, mm. it's priceless, isn't it? I think so. And, um, and I guess she touched on it a little bit, but it would be cheaper, wouldn't it, then, than having the lawyers? Yeah, her hourly rate would be far less than getting on the phone to your lawyer and venting for half an hour. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. And I think the, the specialism she's chosen is so needed. <laughs> yeah, yep. It's fascinating because like you and I have spoken about it as well, so many people dissatisfied in the legal industry. Um, yeah. And for you more so the um, environment and the colleagues and me more so the industry and the way it works and the fact that you know it's almost a common saying in the industry that when you resolve a conflict if both clients aren't unhappy then you haven't done a good job because because there has to be compromise on both sides so no one comes out happy it's just such a bad standard to aim for mm, it's yeah, so dissatisfying yeah. yeah it's almost like you know the um like your little fairy godmother right <laughs> yeah type of analogy of someone that doesn't have a you know an interest self-interest in money or you know anything else there talking to a friend of mine yesterday actually who's just hired a lawyer to it's it's a business partnership that needs to dissolve but it's, it's mm. pretty much like a relationship mm. and she was saying that she just felt like the lawyer was dragging it out trying to get more money and yeah and she's like you know, I keep pushing to get timeframes and I don't get clear timeframes. No. And there's, and I see that a lot. Whereas I think with what Anne-Marie's doing, it's someone that's on your side explaining the process that's, that's there with your best interests. That's right. And also helps manage the timeframes because 
she'll keep the the client on track just as much as as potentially a lawyer can't or can explain the importance of why keeping on track and getting things done when you're asked to do them helps reduce cost but you're Mm. right i mean so many lawyers that charge by the hour and i mean my firm and quite a lot of other firms are moving towards a fixed fee but um, there's an incentive to keep the matter going if you're time billing because you you want it to go for longer, don't you? It's crazy. That's right. But the irony of that is that for the sake of an extra couple of hours or whatever it might be, you've left a sour taste in that per- in that client's mouth and potentially not got a referral. Yeah. Well, potentially, if yeah. they even know better. <laughs> yeah, true. True. Mm. Yeah. I, I think there's such a big need for, for what she does. Mm. Um, I've seen a couple of other coaches do similar. I was sort of just thinking about that yesterday on my drive after listening to the interview, but they're actually not lawyers. So I think that the fact that she's a lawyer in that industry and arena of what she's coaching in is so valuable. Gives her the edge because she knows the tricks about what lawyers do. And she also knows the importance about when they're asked for certain things. And Mm. she can also, she has a more detailed knowledge of what, the next steps would be than someone who wasn't a lawyer. Yeah. And I like the analogy she gave of the house as well, because, you know, I think rightly, as she said it, is that, you know, when you're going through something like that, you don't really process all of that sort of stuff. You right. you, you have to do your financial settlement. You have to do mm. and divvy up everything that's in your life. And then you go, well, is that what I really want? Or am I doing it despite the other person? Or mm. how am I going to cope with that? Mm. And I think having that rational mind that like a friend, but doesn't have that connection to you is, you know, yep. so important. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And um, we briefly touched on um, more of the, you know, the identity dissatisfaction that lawyers faced. And this sort of links back to my identity with my glasses, even that we were talking about before. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that article that I put up on LinkedIn that Anne-Marie referred to as well, that you'd said at the time I put it up, that you wanted to talk about was was the archetypes that we adopt and whether you've lost your humanity or not. And I think that, you know, many lawyers go into the law to make a difference and then realise that, well, it's not what you think it's going to be. Um, mm. And then you morph yourself into something that fits the industry and you lose part of yourself potentially. Hmm. Amory yeah. said herself that she was feeling like she was becoming a person she didn't know or she didn't want to be. Yeah, I remember <clears throat> that feeling quite well just before I left the law. Hmm. Um, and I actually felt myself morphing into the people around me. So mine was a bit different to yours. I wasn't in my own law firm, but uh, I was surrounded in this big, big law firm with other people. And I, I remember, I remember going, I'm turning into you, or it was a case of me feeling left out that I wasn't like other people. Mm. Yeah. And I don't, well, I don't know, but I'm not sure that it has made as much difference being my own boss as I had originally hoped. Like I thought that I'd be a lot happier in the industry being more in control of what I wanted to do and what I don't. But um, the fact of the matter is when you're in litigation matters, you're in contact with colleagues from other firms and um, the nasty gameplay and the attacks and and when you go to court mediations and the way they behave and the way they look at you if you don't 
you know, if you, you don't fit in, you know, it's still, it's still there. I can't escape. <laughs> yeah. It's a form of, um, you know, adult bullying different than the playground bullying, right? Yeah. And the intimidation. Yeah. Yeah. And it does. It makes you question who you are. Mm, mm. But then the way I mentally got around that after writing the article and analysing it for myself was, well, actually, that's not who I am at all. I adopt that energy or archetype for work. And that's why you were saying before, you know, wearing the glasses is my Clark Kent. This is my lawyer. And I'll take the glasses off. And then there's a farm mm. that gives me a physical distinction with the energy change. Yeah. And I guess it's the um, intent that you're going to do that. If it's to hide, it's, it's not healthy, I guess. Mm. Whereas you want to just actually go, you know what, this is me, like it or not, and, and create that new energy around that new persona. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it might even empower you. Yeah. It's partly what I'm excited about as well. Cause I'm not doing um, the surgery for a vanity reason. Like I don't mind wearing glasses mm, mm. as a look, but it is the, the restraint of my life that has, yeah, that's right. Mm. It, but it's, I guess once you um, don't need them and then wearing them for me, it reminds me of it's a bit like armor, isn't it? Yes. It's almost like you need to wear that to then face your day and get through your day because it's, it's like your armor of what you used to. Yeah, that's right. And hopefully I don't use it as a defense. Like if I consciously use it as this is the persona I'm adopting, not I'm putting my armor on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just that slight mental change, isn't it? Mm. But like I said, limit it to a couple of days a week and see how you go. <laughs> be, be the superwoman a bit more than you are. Clarky Kent. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Mm. What did you think about the um, empathy comment? That was quite interesting. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so nice to hear different people's views on that. Do you think it's in, in, the, in the industry of law that potentially women are more empathetic? Yeah. To other industries? Uh, no, I, I don't think that... Uh, I think that there's more empathy between the genders in the law. I don't think that women lawyers are any more empathetic than anyone else. In fact, we're probably less mm. empathetic because we have to push down our own emotions and try and not relate as much to our clients because if we were affected by what was going on in their lives, we wouldn't be functioning. You know, if you have 50 to 100 mm. of horrendous dispute situations, you wouldn't sleep. Yeah, yeah. I was talking about this empathy, men versus male, a couple of weeks ago to someone on the client site and he made a really point a point that sort of pissed me off but he basically said that women are more he feels women are more empathetic because they're more nurturing and and have the motherly figure mm. I'm like but empathy and motherhood don't have anything to do with each other like what the hell are you talking about mm. but I think people do associate women because of their nurturing ability mm. as a, a way to say that you're more empathetic but I disagree with that I think I know so many men that are empathetic I, I agree even more than women yeah and I think so too. And I don't think that the empathy comes from nurturing. I think that women are just brought up to acknowledge people's feelings. And I think that mm. maybe we just express our empathy in a different way. I think men um, understand what someone is going through, but they're more able to put it to one side than a woman who wants to make sure that everyone is okay. <laughs> Yeah, and I think more and more, though, I'm seeing men show that trait. I mean, you know, now that we've had coffee shops open just a couple of days ago, I was getting a takeaway coffee, 
but they could have people seated and they had tables outside and there was a group of 10 men sitting together <laughs> and uh, I was waiting for my coffee just randomly chatting to them and I was like what are you guys doing and they were like oh we have a uh, monthly men's group meeting you know where we just talk about what what's happening for us and what we're going through and what we're feeling <laughs> and it was so nice to see that yeah men do that as well and there weren't you know old men young men they were just our age and it's it's happening more and more that they do talk about what's going on yeah that's great it's good to hear and I suppose my problem with the perception of other male lawyers Mm. is that they're usually in an advocacy position on the opposite side of a matter to me so I'm not going to see the empathy no because again they're putting on their persona for that meeting Yep. You know, and I'm sure that once they've done that meeting, who they are at home is very different. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure that they are absolutely different at home. It's whether they can bring some of themselves to work. To that, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then it's the conditioning, isn't it, of what you're, of how you're taught. Yep. And how you're taught to be as a lawyer. Yep. That's right. And as you said before, what the colleagues around you are like and what the general culture of the firm is like as well, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And then you get mould breakers like Anne-Marie <laughs> who go, you know what, I'm not going to conform to that and yep. I'm going to do things a bit different. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And um, address a gap that she saw in um, being able to help people. And it's so interesting, I think, that uh, she has been able to work through that and get to the place where um, she didn't have to leave the industry altogether to feel like she's doing good work. Hmm. Exactly. So she's still in touch with the industry and mm. she can be more of who she is. Mm. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. That also brings us back to what we talk about a fair bit and that's the value of having a coach, isn't it? generally in any aspect and we've spoken about having coaches for various things in our lives and I think I commented at one point to Anne-Marie that I think people who have had coaching as business owners are probably more open to being coached in other aspects of their lives and I don't think generally people understand the value of a coach. Yeah I agree I'm seeing a bit more of a trend at the moment for people around wanting around EQ and even just last week I spoke to a company that finance but they do trading Mm. and the head of L&D was having a chat with her and she said you know we definitely need it but she said you can't call it EQ because you won't get in the door oh right and she goes you won't get people to to do the training so she said um can you what what else can you call it and it reminded me of the case of like hiding veggies in your kids food (laughs) (laughs) Um, throwing in bits of um eq without without using the word e or emotion in any of that but um it's i think we're still a fair way to go where people go you know what i do need help with this Mm. but you know the day that we can say hey i I need a coach to help me deal with how i feel or how i process things in my emotions will be awesome Mm. that's interesting from a, a marketing perspective as well if people um, still recoil from dealing with emotions and you're taking a huge step to rename your business the EQ Academy so you've I you're right front and center <laughs> I thought exactly the same thing after my conversation with her and I rang my friend and I was like should I not call it the EQ Academy <laughs> and she's like yes you should because that's yeah. what it is <laughs> you just call but the program something different that's exactly right yeah yeah so we titled the program for them the um the influencer of wall street Ah, good. Um, and it's all male. And they were like, 
that sounds cool. What's that? What's that program? Mm-hmm. Um, which is so fascinating because the influence was part of it, part of EQ, right? It's one yeah. of the traits that we teach. Um, but if I had called it, I don't know, something EQ um wouldn't have been wouldn't have bought in. So yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Onwards and upwards for you. <laughs> yes, yeah. So hopefully by the time we talk next in our next episode air, I should have a first draft of the website. Ah, fantastic. Yeah, we'll all have to check it out. Yes, yes. Mm. And what have you got on for the next week? I've got a two-day marketing workshop towards the end of this week. So oh, that'll nice. be great. That That's the one I do once a quarter. I do it. Oh, same one that you do, yeah. Yeah, I participate in um, as part of a mastermind that I'm in. So really looking forward to what my next project will be because, as you know, we've spoken a few times, my project for a while has been my referral program. So I have to choose another project now. (laughs) Oh, good. Mm. That'll be exciting. Mm, It will. It will. Mm. So... Yay. And by the time everyone hears this episode, I will be able to see without glasses. Without glasses. (laughs) So when's the actual um, surgery? Uh, Good question. I think it's the 22nd, something like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Mm. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. So there we go. Another episode done. Uh, We want to hear from everyone. So please, LinkedIn is a great place to find us. Comment. We always post on LinkedIn when our episodes go. So comments on those would be great. But another good place to comment is on our website at iqmeetseq.com.au. And where else can people find you personally, Ush? For the next couple of weeks, ushdamek.com. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then that's going to change. But you'll redirect people, won't you? Yeah, yeah. I'll redirect. That's mm. right. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Good. Um, and I have jackiebroman.com as well as my main business, tbalaw.com.au. So there we go. Another one down. Down. Yeah. With the glamorous Anne-Marie. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was great to hear from her. So I uh, hope everyone has a great couple of weeks coming up. Yeah. We'll catch you on the next episode. Take care.